This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza here. For the weekly Q&A podcast with Chris Anderson. Chris, we called an audible. The The thing is just too popular now. It's it's too much. There's so many people lining up to ask questions, which is awesome. The, the opposite of awesome is the fact that you and I knew the common thread for pretty much all the questions this week. Um, so we skipped the middleman. Got rid of the messenger. We're just going to ask each other questions that we figure other people are curious about, too, because let's be honest, three and five right now, as we tiptoe into November, there's pretty much one thing on the minds of most people. Basketball? This Perez thing, it's just got me in a, a pretzel. I don't get it. No. The, yep. Uh-oh. There's uh, somebody for basketball. Can't do this. Uh, wow, live. We're going to... Put him on the air. A message and we'll call back, okay? <laughs> One sec. All right, and we're back. Um, anyhow, yeah, football, immediate fate of the team, the head coach, the staff, maybe more. We'll see. Um, where do we begin on where we stand right now? Um. All right, well, let me ask you a question, and then I'll give you then I'll give you a real question. Do you want to go micro or macro here? Look at the situation to start. Start small and expand. Okay, let's start with one more question from the game that I had because it's been discussed on the board. So again, I'm trying to we're, we're trying to get the questions that we think the board and our members were going to ask. That final three four plays, the first and goal. That again, you know, I I remember the post game and I tweeted it. The first three drives were, you know, CJ Donaldson run, Justin Johnson run, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And then they got cute with jet sweeps, QB draws, corner fades. There seems to be just some discussion about who made those final decisions. Um and I don't know because I, I think Within the post game, we had Neil Brown talking, and he brought up that maybe the second down one, which was the JT Daniels QB draw, that was Daniels kind of calling his own shot there, that it was supposed to be a pass. And then the third down play, they called that it was supposed to be a run, but again, ended up being a pass. It was the opposite. And so are we getting down to somebody made the wrong calls? Somebody made the wrong uh, audibles there? What are we talking about on that final play? What we, what was your final now that we've had kind of 48 hours to figure it out? What can we say, I don't know about definitively, happened on that final first and goal drive? Hmm. 
I think that they probably looked into the looked into the past a little bit when things were going well and, and knew they could throw fades. That worked. Back shoulder stuff. Um it just didn't click and then I don't know if it's because teams are, are pressing them more, maybe they're better against it, but they they did succeed in that spot before. Um I went back and I listened to Brown. I was in the room after the game. I didn't hear him say this, but they they did think that second down should have been um or the the, the first page should have been a run, correct? So what happens there? Because Daniels have been pretty good about making decisions and I think they liked their run game enough at that point they could have done it. Um I just wonder about just can't get past the red zone um orchestration before where they kinda handed the headset from one coach to the to the other, right? Remember that? Kind of an awkward thing. Um, oh, did God. that happen? Are, are, are you getting conspiracy? Just, I'm just wondering. Theory, just wondering because like a lot of people bring this up. It does seem like the offense has kind of shifted a little bit, or it's changed, or sometimes it has different stripes and different spots. And I wonder, you know, I wonder how much a head coach, head coach, can completely and consistently remove himself from things. And you know, they they ran the ball determinedly successfully early in that game in the goal line situation, and just didn't do it there. And, and it really came out to cost them. Like, as you pointed out, just they got out of their way on the first one and did the thing that worked. And then what wasn't consistent is what stands out. Why did it stand out? Because it wasn't what it was before. It did not blend in. That's why it stands out. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I, neither, um, neither here. I'm trying to think of that first play because in my mind on that first corner fade, like just, again, watching it, and it can be – you know, the angles and stuff on TV are different than what you think you see on TV. Again, you're there in the press box. I'm I'm watching uh, from afar. It it looked like the run was there. Like, again, it, it seemed like one of those read option plays where Daniels has to make the decision after the snap. Or, you know, you, you kind of get a read of what the defense is doing. So you, I don't want to say you make up your mind pre-snap, but you you have an inkling of what you want to do or what you think is going to happen by the defense. And if it does happen, then you then you let the handoff go. If it doesn't happen, then you pull it back and you throw. It looked like the run was there because the offensive line had that side sealed. And I think it was Donaldson because it just almost waltzed in. And especially with a guy his size, could have got at least closer to the goal line. And and I'm just not sure it was the right right decision. And I think that one right there, I don't think that's a play call. I think I think that was an RPO kind of call. Um, and it was a wrong decision by the quarterback rather than a questionable play call, um, which, again, I think I'm, I'm as guilty of it as anybody, again, obviously in the post game and then in my live tweeting. We need to remember some of those things. Like a lot of these plays and not a lot of these. Well, I don't know. What do you say? Like half and half are, are option type plays where they have to make a decision at the line or after the snap of a run or a pass. You kind of read what the box is, and then you make that play. Mm-hmm. And so I don't – it insinuates play bad play calling when it might have been more of a bad decision right there. Which is why it was curious to me that it was, it was pretty clearly stated that was supposed to be a run play. Yeah. So that takes out – the question as to was it a bad call or did they abandon the run because they wanted that to be a run comes down to the quarterback there. And again, at, at some point in the past year, they were good at that fade stuff and it worked. Um, that wasn't a terrible throw. It just didn't connect. And then, you know, the one to pray there, if you see some yellow on that play, it's a different story, right? So it's, it's, it's a question, I guess, for sure about who's doing what. 
Um, and that Prather one, again, maybe that's another one. Because at the time, I was like, that. I don't even know if that's pass interference. I did question the fact that the corner never even turned his head around or anything. But there is no face guarding in in football. They don't flag that. But, man, it's it's one of those. And they teach receivers to do this. They teach them, they teach them, they teach them. And it's it's difficult. I don't want to put the blame on Prather because you're also trying to catch the ball. So you're almost making a choice of what they teach the receivers to do is when that ball is coming up and you see that that defensive back is not, you know, making a play on the ball or anything, is to go back up through his body to go towards the ball so that they call pass interference. Like you're almost initiating the contact. Because that that defensive back's running that way, and you go back into their body, but you're also trying to catch the ball. And I think Prather's best chance of catching the ball was to kind of jump away from the cornerback. Um, had he gone up and in, it's definitely pass interference. But the fact that he kind of jumped backwards to try to make that catch, that's the problem. Which again, and we said it post game, it was a bad throw. So if it's a better throw with a little more air behind it he's kind of slowing down, settling himself, and getting ready to jump, and the cornerback just runs him over, and it's pass interference. I wonder about the throw. I just can't believe that Daniels whiffs on a throw like that. Like, that's a guy who, I mean, he's been throwing fades since he was, like, in kindergarten, right? So, and, and he's been very specific about opponents and matchups and, thir- and certain dynamics in that one-on-one between a receiver and the corner where, you know, it's a back shoulder here, it's a fade here, it's a different things. Like, a back shoulder means it's just going to a spot, and you got to be there. Um, it could be back shoulder on a pylon as opposed to a fade. There's different vocabulary and different ways to throw that too. And I wonder if there was a matchup there and then he saw something and then knew it was supposed to be, you know, not a lofted pass, something that had a little bit more zip on it and prayed they're supposed to get himself there to be open for the catch. Now they just got their signals crossed on that because it just seems like a weird time to zip one when it required touch. And it seemed like a weird time for a receiver to think this thing and the quarterback to do the other and I don't know, perhaps I have too much faith in Daniels, but he's he's his explanations have been impressive this year, especially when it came to how they were going to prep for specifically, you know, those goal line plays when they're pressed up against the receiver. What do they do? Uh, and that was that was one of the situations where I was like, I wonder if they just got crossed up there, which doesn't doesn't forgive the problem. It just kind of underscores the frustration about they get the ball there like, all the way down there. And then one or two things go wrong, whether it's a bad pass or miscommunication. Um, and it kind of keeps them from significant points there too. So curious timing on the, on either a bad throw or a bad relaying of signals there too. Uh, my question for you. Yep. Defense ends on a, on the front foot, let's say, I know they gave up a touchdown on fourth and one, but played better in the second half. We can agree. And then listen, everything is qualified when it comes to their defense, because they're, they're good, they're positive, is still a, a low, low bar, right? I understand that. But what you saw in the second half was a slight uptick. Offensively, a bit different. You go on the road now, a winless team, 0-5 in conference play, a touchdown underdog. It's kind of a weird confluence of events. But John Heacock plays that crazy, restrictive defense. Iowa State's offense has not been great. I wonder if you feel better about a defensive improvement and feel worse about the offense clicking against this defense than perhaps previously expected based on the first seven games of the season. The eighth one kind of flips the script a little bit in a good way and a bad way. And now you're going to a team that really likes to play defense and is not great at offense. 
are they kind of meeting in the middle here, so to speak? Yeah, this is fascinating. Iowa State, like, just fascinates the heck out of me because they have the worst offense in the Big 12, and it's not even close. Um, you look at their scoring for the season right now. Uh, yeah, everybody in the league has played eight games. Everybody has played exactly eight games now, and they have scored 173 points. The next lowest is 248 by Kansas State. But they also have the best defense in the entire Big 12, at least as far as fewest points allowed, with 133. And so this <laughs> it's it, when you look at some of the other matchups, like, oh, yes, yeah, is good on good, bad on bad, good versus bad, bad versus good. And, and here we are. You look, if you're Iowa State, you're thinking, oh, boy, if if we can't get our offense going against West Virginia's defense, then you really know there's problems. And then West Virginia, you're thinking, man, if the defense can't have at least a halfway decent game against this terrible Iowa State offense, there's even worse problems than we already thought. So I don't know who, who what do we call it, the get right game? Who gets right? Like, is is it West Virginia's defense gets right? Or is it Iowa State's offense that gets right? Or what happens when you have West Virginia's offense, which, again, can be up and down? Like, it's it's been good at times. Again, first half, amazing. Second half, kind of pretty much terrible. Um, and there's been kinks in the armor. And will those show, again, for longer stretches against a team like Iowa State that who – Looking at it, what, their worst game, at least as far as points allowed, was against Baylor, um, what, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, and they only gave up 24 points. If West Virginia scores 24 points, I don't think they win the game. I don't think they can win a game where they score 24 points, even if they're even against an offense as bad as Iowa State. Hard to disagree at this point in the season, too. Very curious about the kickoff time, too. It's an ESPN Plus game. Iowa State gets to pick the kickoff time. Didn't go for noon. Didn't go for a night game. I get that. But um, 3.30. So not not a tough one for West Virginia and, and probably in the comfort zone for Iowa State. That's, I always find that that decision interesting because you can pick your time when you have ESPN Plus, and they picked nothing, nothing advantageous. You know, I think if West Virginia had a team coming from far away, like TCU, for example, that noon is kind of an interesting start, but nobody wants a noon home game when you have a choice. So, um, again, maybe a bigger deal to someone like me who's going to be up later than he wants to be Saturday night. <laughs> All right, you ready to get a little more bigger picture? I think the ones that are probably going to be asked even more often on the message board. Let's do it. Okay. I think the one I've seen most frequently because our our statements and our info over the last several weeks have, have been consistent. Um, that... Decision on Neil Brown's future would rather it not be during the season. And if it is, it would be much later in the season, maybe even after, you know, being officially ruled out of a bowl game. A lot of people asking three and five going to be underdog or worst favorites in the remaining four games. Why delay what seems like, or at least what they're assuming is inevitable. Mike, what is the benefit if they're making that decision, if they are making that decision, what is the benefit of waiting a couple more weeks? Two things. One, I, Mike Casaza, am no longer as confident in that stance. 
you and there I you talked Saturday evening and we got a little bit worried about some stuff. Yeah. Leave it at that. So things changed. Listen, there was a lot of patience when they were 0 and 2 and there were there were there was optimism and patience. I understand that, but like time changes. And when time doesn't change enough, you change what you can change, which is the way you feel about the situation. So when you're not getting the progress, the improvement, the change that you hope for, when you cross your fingers at 0 and 2, when the product isn't changing it, the product doesn't change how you feel, you change how you feel about the product. That is inevitable. I think there's more of that now than there was certainly five weeks ago, but I think when you look at going on the road and playing good teams and beating good teams, um, that's tricky. And I wonder if, Chris, beating Baylor isn't a little bit like beating Oklahoma State in 2013. Hmm. You look at it and you go, how the heck did that happen? How the heck did they beat Baylor? Which kind of had its way for most of the game against the Texas Tech offense that had a track meet against West Virginia that we saw. So I'm not as confident in that seventh loss position anymore because I think if you get to six, again, if you're if you're really straining to talk yourself into six wins and six losses, and then you, you kind of have to think about what happens then. And six and six, hey, cool, bowl game. I don't know that a bowl game – bowl games are weird. I know what you think about this, Chris. Perhaps you can calibrate me on this. But, like, I think that should be a minimum now because so many teams get into a bowl and there's so many bowl spots – but it also doesn't mean a whole lot either. So I don't know. It feels like the least thing you can do, but it's also literally the least thing you can do as far as achievements go, just get into six wins. So suppose they're six and six. Are they throwing a party about being bowl eligible in year four? Probably not. And then you kind of buckle up for December. Can you trust good players to stay? I don't know how you can, based on what you've seen the last couple of off seasons. Um, can you trust the transfer portal to supplement your losses? I don't know how you can, based on what you've seen the past couple of off seasons. Um, Staffing decisions had to be made, offensive line, quarterbacks coach, and running backs coach. I believe those are the three that are on one-year contracts. So can you bring them all back? Can you get the right hires? There's a lot of stuff that would be up in the air. And then I just wonder if people are going to be like, what are we doing here? Are we thinking that a seventh win in a bowl game against some you know low-level Big Ten team, Pac-12 team? I had to look at the matchups here, like what the possibilities are, but like, does that change things? And if you lose it, what do you do? Do you get back into January 1st of 2022 where you're like, oh, no, we are in a, using the head coach's word here, crisis. Do you want to do that again? Or do you just kind of create the crisis that you can control by making a change? And I think that the logic is has changed a whole lot now. It's very easy to put that seventh loss as some sort of a bookend when it's far away. When it comes closer and you start to think about the reality of the situation a sixth loss, a seventh loss, an eighth and ninth loss doesn't look that much different, I think. This is going to sound like a weird comparison, but it, it, I'm, I'm glad you just phrased it the way you did just now. I was talking with someone, uh, not a capital S someone, but just about the situation and I essentially said the same thing. It was like, yeah, you know, early on it was kind of like, hey, trying to wait till the end of the season to do it, trying to wait till at least, you know, if they get don't make it to a bowl game kind of thing get to seven losses. And this person said, God, you sound like, he sounded like him when he was trying to pay off his mortgage. It was like, yeah, just this much longer to go. And then, but once you got down into the last couple of years, like, God, I just really want to just pay it off just finish it and pay it off and pay it a lump sum and just rip the bandaid off and get it over with. And I mean, I don't, don't know. I still got a long way to go on my mortgage, so I don't know what that's like, but say, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Can he call the Mac? Yeah. Um, but 
that was that was what I was thinking. Was yeah, I think you know a couple weeks ago I was like yeah, you get it down there. But now that you're three and five, and again as you're staring at it, going, all right, this is the most winnable game remaining on the schedule is a trip to Iowa State, where you are an underdog against a team that has not won a Big Twelve conference game yet. Um, that's not great. Um, and so yeah, I think the more the losing has happened, the more the timeline has been expedited. And and the more stringent things are going to be about this. Um, there's something else you said in there got me thinking. It's kind of a different question, but obviously very much related. You said bowl game, like bare minimum these days, right? Like six and six yeah. is bare, pretty much bare minimum. And somebody had asked me, what you know, what's what are the expectations? Like I think are people are West Virginia fans spoiled from essentially like a decade and a half of really, really good football like there. I mean, it's West Virginia football has always been good with the occasional great year um, or stretches. But then obviously that, you know, 2004-ish range to, you know, 2018, like that's, you're talking like 15 years of exciting football and football where you are competing for conference titles. In... So did that change everybody's expectations? Did that throw them out of whack? Did that make it people raise the bar too high for what West Virginia football should be? And just saying that comment, I probably pissed off about a million people um, because West Virginia fans, you know, are expecting greatness. And I think a realistic expectation of a football coach at WVU, especially with the upcoming Big 12 changes, is over like a five year uh, over a five year stretch, kind of looking at it as like a whole class or whole chance to recruit and fill your roster and all that stuff. So five years, which would be this the fifth year of Neil Brown, is maybe two years of around 500 ball, two years of a little more competitive, and then one or two like one or two years where you are legitimately competing for a conference championship, where you have to build build the roster up, and I think. That hasn't happened during these five years. But Mike, is that an unrealistic expectation? What would your like five-year expectation be for a WVU football coach? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that's fair. I mean, I think the Big 12 is going to be easier to win with Texas and Oklahoma out of the way. I don't think there's much about that. And then some teams are going to benefit from that power vacuum. I 
and I don't know how many teams that would be. I think you could certainly say Oklahoma State would be one. Um, the rest of the Big 12, don't know. We'll see. But, like, that's the team that's been positioned for so long with the head coach. They've been there across different little phases of the Big 12. So that power vacuum, I think that scoops them up. Point being that, like, who who else gets scooped up? Is it Let's say that there's, like, three or four teams that benefit Who's in line? Where is West Virginia in line? It's hard to it's hard to put them in the benefit of the benefiting position right now of moving up because someone moves out. Everybody will a little bit, but like there are teams that are going to make leaps. And when you look at what Kansas State is doing, what Kansas is doing, TCU, I would think that they have as good a shot as anybody to to make a leap in the Big Twelve on that power vacuum. So I'm going to get to your answer, Chris, but I go back to this. An expectation is maybe artificially existing because of that great run in that 2004 era that you mentioned, right? But on the cusp of the national championship, the Fiesta Bowl win, a lot of offensive talent coming back, which was the identity of the program at that point. They make a, let's just say, a controversial decision as to who's going to be their coach. He wins nine games in three seasons, and he's gone. And then you have eight years of Dana Holgerson being up and down. Um, more up than down, but up and down. Briefly had them in some Big 12 championship conversation. But think about the contract extension and how kind of tumultuous that was in 2016. What frustrated people then was what was good enough? What was the goal? What was something that you could reward and what was something you should avoid? It took 10 wins to get that contract extension done. Don't forget that. And then now the goalposts have moved quite a bunch these past four years. But can you trace it back 15 years and say, well, they never really. If they got out and had a, a, a serious, deep head coaching search and got somebody who was going to keep it going forward and all of a sudden that became a bigger deal. Because of that decision, all of a sudden that 2004 era continued on for some number of years. That 017 came back and they won, I don't know, let's just say they won 12, 11, and 10 games the next three years because they had a good guy in charge. Well, all of a sudden you know what that program does. Did they did they leave it in a limbo by promoting Bill Stewart? Maybe. But also, what did Bill Stewart do that was so bad? Won nine games three years in a row. Not the best competition, I understand that. But what was the goal? Never stated Holgerson era, goals never really stated. Brown era, goals never really stated. Now would be a good time to have an answer for that question, don't you think? Like, it's it's there now where you're in this, the, the cement's wet. Put your feet in there. What's it going to look like? You know, it, does it have to be 10 wins? Do you have to compete? Um, 10 wins, you know, once every four years and compete for a Big 12. I don't know. We'll see. That's been a question mark for a while. I think minimum in a four-year cycle, you should be playing – significant football in November a couple of times and maybe you should be making one trip to Dallas. If not, you're in that conversation like, all right, if they win this game, this team loses, they're in Dallas for the Big 12 championship game. I think that conference championships are the goal if you're in a Power 5 conference. They're not easy to get to, but you need to be able to to take a swing at it. More often than not, I don't know, but more often than they have. Can't say I disagree there. I can't say I disagree. Uh, only hiccup here setting those hard line goals or you know must-haves or whatever you want to call them that can make things complicated 
Um, and we've because we've talked about it. Not not that it's like, hey, you know, you you need to compete for conference championships. I think if you say compete for conference championships, that is at least ambiguous enough. Or like, you know, hey, they were eight and four, and the team that made the Big Twelve championship game was nine and three. So we're close. You know, the two teams that made it nine and three and ten and two. So we we quote unquote competed. When when does the line of competing start and end? You know, are you in it until the final week? Are you actually in the game? Did you compete or were you in it until three weeks left? I think you still have some kind of unknown with that, some flexibility with that. But the hard line stances make it more difficult. But then again, like you said, if you don't have a set goal, if you don't make it publicly known, it starts shifting. And now it's shifted. Again, we went from, you know, Nine wins wasn't good enough. Noted Big Ten, uh, Big East Conference, nowhere near the same level of competition. There were games that they should have never lost. Like, I feel like there was like, I know it was only three years, but I think there was like eight games against Syracuse that they probably should have won that they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is different, but we've now shifted these goalposts so far that we're staring at, hey, you know, get to get to six and six in year five. Yeah. Like, no, we're a decade removed from firing somebody for going, was it 27 and nine or whatever it was, 27, and 10, you know, three, three, it was it nine and four every single year. So 27 and 12, mm-hmm. um, again, different circumstances, but this is a heck of a shift in the goalpost situation here. Look at the big 12 too. I'm just, the roster of teams, and it's not a perfect season for this because, for example, Oklahoma hasn't done it. Oklahoma State has not probably been as good as it could have been given the way that the top has unfolded this year. But look at TCU, Kansas State. With I mean, one of the more surprising outcomes in the country this year, probably, I would think, when you look at that score. Mm-hmm. Baylor getting it together. Texas smokes Oklahoma. Kansas had a win at West Virginia, 5-0 start. Texas Tech has had some good moments. Like the only two teams that really haven't had an outcome this year that contributes to the dynamic that is the Big 12 are maybe, maybe Baylor, the game is it for West Virginia, and it's just Iowa State that hasn't contributed to it. But um, a lot of stuff is possible, and West Virginia hasn't made it happen. And that may be the difference of, of uh, qualitative, quantitative analysis here, Chris, is that like they got one, it was a home game, it was great, but what happened after that? popped a tire in the first half against Texas Tech and then lost a home game against TCU, which, again, losing to an undefeated top-10 team at home. It's a tough one to hold against a team, but magic hadn't happened um, nearly enough, and if you try to go over Brown's great wins, it's not going to take you too long, unfortunately, for him, and that's just the state of the program. But I think if they're more competitive in some of these games and they do climb a few rungs on the ladder, and <laughs> I don't know how high it's supposed to go or how high they think it will go, but I guess you could say they haven't even embarked on that that mission so far. And I don't want to use the word that begins with a C and, and has five letters and you're supposed to trust because that would be kind of trite. But have they really embarked on that to to get to a level that they want to? Like if we don't know the destination, well maybe it's because the journey hasn't really started or it hasn't escalated or elevated as much as they wanted to. And that could be as much a problem as anything else. Um we'll see. Chris, my last one for you. Uh-huh. Again, this is one of those things that sounded great five, six weeks ago. Now, doesn't sound so bad or when, when you know you look at how things have unfolded and where they are right now. But given the transfer portal, 
given uh, recruiting is maybe not different, but you're still a power five program that's going to have scholarships and, and going to play in a conference that should be fun. And IL is there. there. There's good things about being even a bad team in a power five conference or a team that's not winning a lot, but portal recruiting assistance, NIL staffing, all that stuff. Variables you can control and manipulate to make a head coaching change. You cause a lot of ripples in waters that you'd prefer to have run still, right? I think anybody would tell you change is not great. You'd rather not make changes, but sometimes you have no choice. But what what's the the cost, the price, not dollar sign, but in collateral damage and perception and recruiting and marketing, whatever. And turning over coaching staff. You know, this would be four and fifteen years. That's a big number. And while maybe it is easier to build a roster. It's also easier for others to build a roster, too, at your expense. My, my question, I guess, in, in a much longer format down to a, a few words here is, um, why might somebody dread having to make a change and not want to? And then if you do, what are you looking at when you do make a change? Um, let's start with the recruiting part of this, like as far as the guys that are committed but not yet in the program. Uh, you can't take that in as a factor. Uh, let me give an example here. And this is, you know, obviously this hasn't happened too much to West Virginia over the years. There's only been what the one coaching change in the last dozen years. Um, so, but we've seen it with other programs. We've seen it even, I mean, a little bit at West Virginia because of like assistant coaches. And again, those are the guys that the players are building their relationships with most. You will hear them mention Neil Brown. You will hear them mention, but they're, they're building their relationships with, the assistant coaches with the recruiting coordinators. Um, now, yes, again, some of those guys will probably be gone too with Neil Brown, but it is a situation where I'm looking at it right now, 18 commitments in West Virginia's class. In general, speaking of generalities here, not talking about specific players that are in this class, but in general, say a class of 18 players, and there is a coaching change. 12 of those 18 will stick with West Virginia pretty much no matter what maybe 10 of 18 will switch stick with West Virginia no matter what and then another three or four will teeter totter maybe decommit see another school but then come back and meet the new coaches and the new coaching staff and will recommit so you're talking like 13 out of the 18 maybe 14 out of the 18 will still be in the class on top of that whoever you bring in is then going to bring in a bunch of other exciting, you know, potential exciting players with their own connections. They might bring them from the school that they're currently committed to elsewhere. They might bring them as uncommitted players that are going to come over. Um, one of the first ones I remember was when Tony Gibson came back to West Virginia a decade ago. And as soon as he got there, all of a sudden West Virginia is being connected to these guys that were committed to Arizona. And, you may remember one of them, Mario Alford, who ended up being pretty darn good. Um, and again, those are the kind of things that that can happen. There's still like the hit on recruiting is not going to like you're talking not that drastic or it shouldn't be. It might feel like it at first. It might seem like it. You might have a rash of decommits and then guys recommit and, and stuff. But a lot of these guys are going to take a more measured approach. And, and really evaluate who's going to be the new coaches and stuff. I'm 
again, I know I said I'm speaking in generalities here, but let's let's take, for example, Rodney Gallagher. Um, he picked West Virginia because he lives 30 minutes away. He likes West Virginia. His family, his mother graduated from West Virginia. Like he has built, he's built an amazing relationship with Dante Wright, who's been his lead recruiter. He's built a nice relationship with Tony Washington. He's built a nice relationship with Neil Brown and several other staff members. But if all of those guys were gone, I still think there is a real possibility, a likelihood actually, of him being at WVU. Um, the new quarterback commit, Sean Boyle. His whole family went to West Virginia. He grew up going to all the games at West Virginia. He decommitted and from Charlotte and committed to West Virginia like within days of getting the offer. I don't think a coaching change is going to you know affect him. Go down the line. Corey McIntyre, uh, WVU legacy. Noah Bram, WVU legacy. Tory Johnson, WVU legacy. Like, are these guys really going to jump ship because of a coaching change? Unlikely. Um, so again, you're talking at least half the class will stick around, likely more. The big issue is transfers, like the guys that are currently in the program. Because we saw this offseason, massive departures. And some of them were because their position coach or their lead recruiter left to go somewhere else. We don't need to rehash that in, in the coach that's currently in Miami. But mm-hmm. that, that's something that's going to happen. That is something that you got to be concerned about. But again, as you noted, it's, it'll be easier to rebuild with your own transfers. But that's would be my biggest concern is those guys that are like freshmen, sophomores who are already contributors on the program leaving because of the coaching change. That would be the area where you really need to kind of tighten up and keep those guys together and, and in and on in the program. I don't think you can be scared of making the change because you might be bad for a couple of years because no. I don't think the public can or should buy that much more. When you look around at other teams, how quickly they've turned it around in the conference and beyond, it just doesn't seem like that should not be the the roadblock, I don't think. Because if you're in a bad spot, why would you be worried about a bad spot? Um, you can continue on willingly in a bad spot or you can volunteer, I guess, welcome a bad spot, but you also have much more control over the solution when you when you willingly enter the the phase where you can change things. Well, and that's that. And I think that's, again, this is part of what has bothered people so much with this, because look at how quickly some of these other programs are turning it around with their coaches. Um, you look at it. I mean, TCU first year head coach right there. I mean, this is not the same roster, but you know, they got rid of Gary Patterson and boom, they're, they're winning. They're number seven in the country. They're undefeated. Uh, Kansas has gone from a perennial doormat to, you know, a team that was going to finish around 500 in uh, Leipold's second year, right? Mm-hmm. Texas Tech, the team that just destroyed West Virginia. Uh, another young coach that's only in his first or second year. You just keep going up and down the line. There are teams right here in this conference that West Virginia is facing week after week after week that you're not hearing, oh, we're short on depth. Oh, we had a lot of transfers. Oh, we're young and inexperienced team. It's just year one, year two, and they've got to turn around, and they're cooking, and they're winning. And I think when that's happening right in front of your face, it kind of magnifies the issues that you're having uh, in, in your own backyard. Well, there we have it. Questions um, overlapping, hopefully, with what the listeners and subscribers want. Answers 
you're probably not going to get the answers, the answer for a while. Um, but who knows? Hey, I think, Chris, we... though, that is, go ahead. Sorry, I, I want to, you, you made me think about the answer that you want. Uh, and this is something that I, I, would, I just want to say in general to everybody listening, to all the fans, to our VIP members, to, again, the people that just listen to the podcast. If something comes up, please, if something happens as far as coaching change, please try to, uh, this is going to be, I know this is asking a lot, try to remove yourself or, or your desires for what's going to happen with what's actually happening. I think there are so many people, especially these last couple of weeks with some of the rumors that were being, you know, talked about and, and potential coaches and stuff like that, that it was a situation where they, we gave them the answers, you and I, of what this, hey, it's kind of a wait and see. You know, there were, remember, I think it was like the Virginia Tech game, like people are already talking about him getting fired. And you and I were on the podcast, but like, it's, it just, you guys are way ahead of schedule here. Just chill. But people didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that, even though it was the truth. They didn't want to hear that a decision wasn't made yet. So they went and found the truth that they wanted and went that way. Try not to do that moving forward um, because I think there's just there's going to be a lot of stuff thrown out and there's going to be a lot of reasons things are thrown out, but you need to wait and listen and, and, and find a trustworthy news source. I will obviously promote our site and Mike and the information and and point to what happened the last time there was a coaching change and how on it everything was. But just because the answer is not what you want to hear doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Also, um, rule of thumb, these things happen at night. It just never fails. They happen at night. I don't know what it is. Um, people hang out. Brown liquids, dinners, they go home, put the family to bed, um, they get back to their hotel room. I don't know what it is, but there's like a witching hour. It never, ever, ever fails. So uh, I'm not saying that if you see something at like noon, it's wrong. But if you see something at like 9 p.m., don't dismiss that either, because it just seems like these things happen at night. And it, that was as true Saturday a couple of days ago as it probably will be whenever there, there's white smoke or black smoke coming out of the push car center. We'll see, but it <laughs> don't know why, but it's always at night. It always never fails. Yeah. The, you, you may have been texting and calling me and I'm just standing in the middle of a large gymnasium at my wife's 20 year reunion. Like seriously, not right now. <laughs> Everybody stop it. Oh gosh. Can't do this again. Can't do it, but we will. Maybe we'll see. We'll be, uh, we'll be up in the watchtower, keeping an eye over the, the land below us and trying to see what the future holds for us. Oh my God, Chris, this is not great. Until then. I'm Mike Cassaz. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.